Radio Interviews. Welcome. I'm your host, Diana Brown, and with us at the board is engineer and, of course, producer Dan Wilson, making it all sound pretty. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Now, Dan, let's ask the folks a question today. This is about our guest. So here's the question. Who do Aristotle, Einstein, and Mickey Mouse have in common? The answer is a man whose work encompasses themes from causality to quantum theory, who illuminates an elephant's delight in peanuts in the shell and our hopes of being tall enough to take the ride. I'm speaking, of course, of our guest, performer, director, producer, and playwright, Trevor Allen. Welcome, Trevor. Wow, that would have been my guess, but thank you. Thank <laughs> you <for having> <laughs> it's amazing the things they write about you on the internet. You have no idea. Yeah, it is frightening. No, welcome. It is a thrill to have you here. Now, you are kind of, not, you're not a double threat, you're not a triple threat, you're a quadruple threat. Yeah, but I don't dance anymore, so. Ah, well, we're going to have to see if we can change that. I was in chorus line in high school, and I was the one who broke, broke his leg, and I think that was, that was the end of my dance career. Right now there. tell us, okay, who were you in chorus line? Uh, <laughs> I was Paul. Uh, it was a very white high school, and so the, the line, you know, I don't look Puerto Rican. People say I don't look Puerto Rican. I don't look Puerto Rican. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, I got to laugh every night. You were the most S- most ethnic as your high school could get at that time. Well, no, it was actually pretty, uh, pretty mixed. But uh, we didn't know you were really a hoofer back <laughs> in the day. I'm not anymore. The secrets of Trevor Allen. Now, in addition to all this, you are the artistic director of the Black Box Theater Company. That's correct. Which, according to your website, is a digital theater company dedicated to new live performance. Yes. You founded this company as well. Yes. Uh, yes, I did. You pulled it up out of the. Very ether. Now, you're wearing a T-shirt that says, I make stuff up, and that couldn't be a better description of you. Yes, but not during this interview. I'll try to be entirely truthful. All right. We're going to hold him to it, Dan. We shall make you talk. (laughs) Now, I have to admit, I first became aware of your work in 2003. I think that was your second uh, production of Working for the Mouse Ah. under that title. Is that correct? That's Yes, that's correct. So for those not indoctrinated to the ways of Trevor Allen, tell us a little bit about that show and how it came to be. Sure. Um, well, my, my background is uh, I did my undergraduate work at UCLA. I got a bachelor's degree in theater at UCLA. I mean, <laughs> I actually moved to L.A. to do theater, which is a bit like going to Las Vegas to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> so you can do it, but it kinda, you're kind of missing the point. Uh, and then while I was down there, I got a day job at Disney. Disneyland. The happiest place on earth. Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've never worked there. No. Yes. Uh, and I was, I was a character there uh, for four summers. Uh, casual seasonal pageant helpers are the actual title. Uh, but yeah, I was a character. Casual seasonal pageant helpers. Yes. <laughs> okay. Go on. <laughs> this is good. I was, uh, I was uh, Pluto my rookie year. <laughs> Your rookie year. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of hazing that goes on, but I, uh, I was, uh, I was under that fur costume. It's really hot and heavy, and it's it's one of the worst shit costumes <laughs> on the planet. Uh, it's great being one of the Fab Five because you're an instant rock star, but it is sure. really, it's heavy, it's hot, it's you can't breathe. Um, and then I sort of worked my way up, and I had this uh, passion. I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to be Peter Pan. Well, actually, I wanted to be paid to be Peter Pan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of people have that wish. But, uh, and it was an opportunity um, because the fur costumes, you don't get to speak. Okay. So, you know, you're just locked in there. Whereas the face characters, you get voice clearance. 
voice clearance, so yes. you're allowed to use your natural speaking voice. Well, I don't know how natural it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I uh, like I said, I try to be Peter Pan. I auditioned a couple of times once I was in there, and I auditioned pretty much for every male face character there was, all the princes, the chimney sweeps, everyone else. Uh, I ended up getting uh, the Mad Hatter. Oh, very cool. It was cool. Uh, for a whole summer, I was doing it Monday through Friday, and that was great. But, but as far as a natural voice goes, I was actually <laughs> impersonating Ed Wynn. No. For eight hours a day. Oh, let's hear it. Oh, wow. It's been year. Really? Okay. If you can pull it out, we can come back. Oh, right no. Now. All right. You're not going to edit this. All right. Let's try. Oh, my goodness. Hi. How are you? Would you like them tea? Word. Wow, I haven't done that since I've done the show. That's actually pretty accurate. That was good. That was amazing. Well, thank you very much. That that lovely, yeah. It's so in Congress coming out of your face. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, the weird thing was I, I had to wear a latex nose, big bulbous latex nose, big white wig and uh, the hat, and uh, they made these buck teeth for me, so I'd walk around. The buck teeth help because then you get that sort of, that lift be sort yes. of thing going. It, yeah. I'm sure they adored you. It was it was fun, but it was it was really surreal because once you can actually talk and interact with people, you're not just you don't just fit the suit, you know. Right. So the hierarchy of the face costumes versus the suited, what? Suited, yeah. The pageant. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the pageant helpers. Um, the <laughs> there's there's certainly royalty at Disney, and it, it's it's gotten even. I I've talked to people that are still there, some lifers that I met when I was lifers. there. Uh, you know, the, the Snow Whites and the Cinderella's and the Alice in Wonderland's, uh, a lot of the women's like, you know, they're, they're drop dead gorgeous. Sure. And, um, and, you know, a lot of the princes are, you know, the very handsome looking guys or the guy that plays um, now, I guess, uh, Jack Sparrow. Of the, course. And these are all these are all after my time. I was there late 80s, early 90s. Um, but there, it was interesting because it was kind of like it was a bit like high school. I mean, you got the really the cool, popular kids that everybody wanted to be with. And, and then you had all this, you know, smelly, sweaty, 17-year-old spotty kids that were <laughs> under the fur. And you're like, oh, my God, you know, sort of the untouchables. Um, but it it's was like Calcutta, for the it, love of God. Pretty much. Yeah, that's, that actually is a bit what Disneyland is like backstage. <laughs> um, uh, and it was weird because I, I really did want to uh, – it was weird because I was taking acting classes at UCLA. And so I'd take a – <laughs> a Shakespeare acting class from Robert Reed, Mr. <clears throat> Brady from the Brady Bunch. Yes. So, yeah, well, that explains a lot, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> and then I would go to work, you know, having just done like a, a monologue from Henry V, and then I would go and pretend to be Ed Wynn for, you know, eight <laughs> hours. And it was just this surreal – I mean, it, it was, you know, the 80s in Los Angeles, so it was, it was pretty whacked out to begin with, but – that was that was normal. That was life, and I was like, well, <laughs> Ooh. but I was re I really wanted to be a performer, and it wasn't until I boomeranged up to the Bay Area. I was born and raised here. I only spent uh, four years down in Los Angeles. That's the boomerang, okay? Yeah. So I came back up. I uh, got back involved in theater, and I decided that I wanted to try and write, but um, the idea of just jumping in and, and trying to write plays for other people to read I was I was just so sensitive and so like oh I don't know this is this sucks I don't know if it's <laughs> going um so I I met uh, Charlie Barron uh the solo performer I mean he's just legendary here in the Bay Area absolutely and uh he was teaching a workshop and I came in took his class and then he was teaching another workshop with David Ford right and between those two sort of solo performer fathers 
Uh, David, very much about the directing, the writing, and Charlie, really about the performance and the story and how you tell a story. It was really exciting to, to realize that I could write for myself, but I, I, I still had that uh, instinct to want to write a lot of characters. Okay. So in 96, I did a show called, oddly enough, Character! Exclamation point. Uh, for the Fringe Festival. And I was lucky enough to get Best of the Fringe that year. That was, that was really surprising, actually, because I hadn't done a show before like that. Um, and I played some 20-some-odd different characters, voices. Uh, Remarkable. Well, <laughs> it, it, that kind of came second nature to me. Uh, but really getting the, the story arc and, and all the storytelling aspects together and, and really telling a, a coherent thing within the context of fi- uh, it was a 50-minute show. At the fringe, because we had to wrap it up, and I mean, you guys have done the fringe. You oh, 60 yes. minutes, and you're out, you know. 15 to load in, 15 to load out. Yeah, so uh, it was cool. <laughs> but then there was, I realized there were a lot of stories I wanted to continue to tell. Okay. So I went to, uh, to Impact Theater after I had done several other plays and um, had, had some success. Uh, I got a Best of Fringe in 2000 with a piece called Chain Reactions, yes. one of my fugue plays. But uh, I still wanted to workshop working for the mouse and get some of those other stories out there. And I felt uh, a small company that would take a risk on me, you know, I really wanted to, to say, you know, there, there are other things I want to tell. There's other aspects that are a little darker, a little, you know, stickier, a little seedier. Definitely. But funny, too. And um, I wanted to take it out of the context of just having to, to keep it under 60 minutes. Okay. So we, we did about a 90-minute show, no intermission. Um, which is really about as much as I could handle as a performer. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I've seen solo shows that are two acts and, you know, two and a half hours long. I thought, sure. you know, how do they do that? I just, I couldn't. Um, and I was starting to get burned out in terms of just doing a one-person show. Um, it's lonely, too. It is, I would think. you know, and the uh, cast party sucks. <laughs> <laughs> And when you do pass the squeeze, it's a warm-up. And <laughs> <laughs> I kept dropping the ball, you know, <laughs> past the energy ball, and I'm like, ah, yeah. But um, so Impact took a risk, and I went to a good friend of mine, a director, Kent Nicholson. Yes. And uh, Kent, uh, Kent and I met through Playground, uh, the 10-minute play piece. Uh-huh. Uh, I did about a dozen Monday Night Playgrounds over this time. That was, I was really cutting my teeth. And he consistently, when he directed my stuff, he, he got it. I had a, a, a very odd sense of humor. Um, and he got it. And I don't know what it says about him. Uh, I don't want to you know, disparage his sense of humor. <laughs> but he, he really was able to, to take an idea that I would have and really just visualize it. And he's a director I trusted. So um, as a solo performer, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to treat this as a play. But I, I just happened to be acting all the voices and all the roles. Right. Um, so we came up with the, with the context that... Uh, the costume was really just based on the, the T-shirt and shorts that I wore as a character at Disney. Um, and that there was this sort of onstage and backstage life. Uh, and there was a curtain. And when I would take a break, uh, I would sort of go beyond the curtain. So you would see me like drinking water or toweling myself off. And it was kind of like being backstage. Right. But then a lot of the, the, the characters um, evolved through this process. And uh, we had a really good run at Impact, uh, and then we brought it over to the exit, ran it there for a while. And so in different incarnations, it, it's been on the main stage at, at uh, the exit as well, uh, which is that 2003, um, we did a, a video of it actually, right. uh, which is sort of, it's now bootleg. <laughs> um, and then I, I took it down to, to Bus Barn, added uh-huh. a little bit more, and felt you know stronger with it. Uh, I'd love to, to bring it back out and see if I can do it again. 
And um, you would do it again, yes. You would play it? Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, uh, well, I'm so delighted. Don't hold me to it. Uh, my, my knees <laughs> are not what they used to be. And, oh, and that's are, that's not honey? what you. Who's are? I know that that sounds weird. Um, no. <laughs> there's there there are some little people. Some okay, little it things does sound that are weird, required but... when you get a show produced that require good knees. <laughs> yes, but I was the producer, so there's there's no ex- explanation of that. <laughs> that no. requires flexibility. <laughs> in context. Oh, Dan. In context, I. Uh, I had to play a number of uh, little people characters, not midgets. You don't say that word. No. That's, that's the other M word. <laughs> Mickey being the other one. Really yes. <laughs> um, and there was a character uh, <laughs> who played Donald Duck, who was sort of my mentor. Uh, he's actually an amalgam of several people that I met there. Uh, but he was literally the, the stereotypical cigar-chomping backstage at Disney, sort of like, hey, kid, what are you doing? <laughs> Look, rookie, just listen to what I tell you. Like, that was him. Not what you expect to find inside that duck. Well, suit. or maybe yes. Or maybe <laughs> yes. <laughs> he certainly had the attitude. But um, so I would actually play him physically on, on my knees. I mean, it was a cheap visual gag, but it really, when you're tracking through a scene and I was playing like up to five or six characters at a time, literally boom, 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 one after the other, um, to see that visual and then get the voice just right away, it, it, you knew who he was. Oh, it helps the audience. I, it's not cheap at all. But I recently tried to, to sort of go through it. Oh, my knees are shot. So Ooh. I don't know. It would be interesting to see if we could cast. I mean, obviously we could. There's some really talented young actors out there. Um, Any orthopedic doctors listening? <laughs> Trevor needs your help. <laughs> but uh, ideally, yeah, I would love to do it again. I'd love to take it to L.A. I was threatening to for the longest time, and I should have at the at the height of it when I was getting all the good reviews and yes, you know it was uh it was sort of any moment I was expecting to to hear the knock from a Disney lawyer and Ooh. you know I, I did some TV interviews and some radio interviews and I figured well if they haven't busted me yet, the cool thing is I talked to an intellectual property lawyer. It's all fair use. You experience it. It's your life. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I can talk about it because it happened. <laughs> you know, this T-shirt, I make stuff up aside. No, it all happened. So that was, uh, yeah. So I actually, I'm, I'm working on a book now. Are you? Yeah. About working for the mouse? Yeah. The working title is Working for the Mouse. Are the, we hearing it here first? Uh, I guess officially, yeah. We scooped it, Dan Wilson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> guess what I'm posting tonight. <laughs> yeah. The Character Chronicles. So ah, we'll we'll see. I'm writing that down. I've got several several chapters done, and I, I I know a really good editor, and she's been going through it. The idea is we're gonna we're gonna start blog posting um, on the web, different bits of it, and hopefully drum up uh, an actual publisher. Oh, you will. Oh, this is exciting. I can't wait for this. So that's working for the mouse. That's working for the mouse. And one final question on working for the mouse, although I I. Uh, I reserve the right to come back to it because it's such a fascinating topic. I have to know, of all those princesses, which was the snottiest to work with? <laughs> wow. That, that would be naming names. Um, you don't have to say the girl. Just say the princess. Oh, just the character? Yeah. Uh, Cinderella. Yeah. Yeah. She was really, you know, you know she came from, from nothing. And, and she, right she worked her, her way up. And, yeah. it's. <laughs> I'm so sad to hear that. No. It, um, <laughs> I mean, the way it works – Several different women do the costume uh, any given day. And the sweetest, and, then, would have to be? Well, the one I had a crush on was uh, Alice in Wonderland. You know, Because you guys did share a lot of time together, you being the Mad yeah. Hatter. Yeah, it was just me, her, and a six-foot white rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I call a 
Interesting triangle of love. I've been to clubs like that in San Francisco. I know. <laughs> and that was just the norm. <laughs> Trevor, you did mention chain reactions. And I'd love to talk to you about that for a little bit. Sure. Uh, y- you did mention that's where you uh, were started playing with structure a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I started, uh, I wrote a bunch of monologues um, that I wanted to, to intercut and to, to play with a sort of a, an experimental structure. I hate that word, by the way, but it really is the only way you can sort of describe what I was doing because I was exp- experimenting. Um, and I had some sort of either disconnect disconnected or tangentially connected characters that I wanted to intercut and see how how their stories related to each other. Mm -hmm. So I did a a piece called uh, The Mistaken Variations um, through Playground. And it was it was all about different aspects of making a mistake. Okay. And uh, there was a a bachelor with with a fishbowl, empty fishbowl, and he was contemplating, you know, putting an actual fish in there because he just found out that his girlfriend was pregnant. And wasn't quite ready for fatherhood. And then there was the, the girlfriend, and there was this uh, woman who had fallen off the wagon, and there was a, a man literally in a coma. So all you're hear- hearing is his internal dialogue. Yes. Or internal monologue, sorry. Although he was speaking to his wife, who was on the outside. So I took those four characters and fugued them. I use that term advisedly because I don't know that much about music. But the, the interconnection of... of um, the lines, as opposed to dialogue, have a, a, a sort of fugal structure. Sure. And uh, I went from there thinking, okay, well, here's an interesting 10-minute play, and it works in 10 minutes. I'd like to do a full evening. Um, so I, th- that's when we took it to the Fringe Festival. I did a, another piece called um, Synchronicity. Again, sort of loosely themed on, on some of the, the different people I knew and characters okay. I, I had created. Um, and then did a third piece uh, loosely based on uh, Albert Einstein and Leo Szilard's uh, discussion about the bomb, okay. or about the, really about the making of the, the bomb, what became the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. uh, and how he signed the letter to, to Roosevelt. Uh, then I had a, another character in there, uh, a bombardier, based on one of the, the bombardiers from uh, over Hiroshima. Right. Uh, the other character was uh, a little girl who was in, actually, in Nagasaki, uh, who survived the blast. So a mixture of, like, some, some really dark, heavy, serious stuff with, with some light comic elements, and I thought that was a nice way to, to kind of get in there. And we did it as a bring-your-own-venue. In uh, a very un- u- unique venue. It was. And it doesn't exist anymore, although I understand uh, the Academy of Sciences in Golden Gate Park is about to open. Yes. Very soon. Yes. Uh, I'd love to see what they've done with their planetarium. You would. <laughs> yeah. But the, the planetarium that uh, we, we use, it was the old one. It was like, you know, old, old school. Like um, <laughs> all the effects were literally handcrafted. It was this artisanship that they, they took real pride in, in creating all these effects. And you would see them like it was like, you know, seeing all the strings and all the, the sort of. Yeah. The, so that's wonderful. Um, and so we did it in there. And it was like this. As I said, we got best of the fringe. It was great, but it was one of those things where it didn't quite transfer very well once we took it outside the planetarium into a theater. Okay. And I then hooked up with uh, with Rob Melrose, uh, the director, and Rob uh, was very interested in sort of having this have a life beyond, and I, I was too. So we talked to Matthew Quinn, <laughs> which I know you guys know. 
We've had Matthew on the show. I listen to I'm sure interview. he'd be thrilled to hear you're thinking about doing Working for the Mouse again. Oh, I'm sure he would, seeing as how he's got a theater in Los Angeles. That's right. Uh, and if he wants to get sued, we'll, we'll be there. Um, <laughs> so long story short, uh, basically between Rob and Matt, uh, we got a production together at the next stage. And that was it was fun. But I, I made the mistake of, you know, sort of a kid in a candy store or a kid in a theme park who eats too much junk food. Yeah. I was like, oh, I want it all. So I, I decided that I, I needed to have uh, one separate voice for all the characters. And there were a dozen characters. I, I made one concession in that the, the physicist character, uh, not uh, not Einstein or Zillard, but there was another uh, a female physicist who was pregnant. Who was right. The, uh, uh, she was double cast, so she got two separate monologues that sort of bookended the piece. Because originally it was for four voices, Exactly, correct? exactly, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And, you know, uh, a lot of the actors... The San Francisco Chronicle thought so as well. They had great things to say about it. Uh, the shortest but most beguiling line was, language and ideas that soar. It's a beautiful review. It was the only time I ever got a good review from Steve Wynn. So that was... <laughs> Yeah, we frame those and keep them in a special place. It was it was odd actually, uh, because the Fringe gave out like you know the Critics Award. Sure. And they had just you know had some had some bad ink from from Steve, uh, who had said you know oh, the, oh there's no experimental theater and uh, and he was not too happy with the Fringe and they were sort of not happy with him, and uh, they announced uh, the Critics Award for that particular year and, and chain reactions got the Steve Wynn Critics Award and when I went up to the podium to accept it I got booed I was Ooh. like it's like sorry <laughs> you know it's sorry like, what do you for say not to sucking that? <laughs> oh man that's yeah harsh. so that, that was that was kind of weird but um so the warm fuzzy community of theater the oh, I love the community I mean and they were I'm they were kidding. they were right because he, he he kind of uh, he overdosed I think that year he went to see so much all at once it was kind of an overload and then he was like ah oh, you know oh it all sucks uh, but we, we actually got a really, really good review from that, which was cool. Um, and then I went on to write a few other fugue plays. Um, yes, you did. Um, uh, the next one I'd love to bring up would be uh, 49 Miles. Yeah. Um, and for those who are not hip to the San Francisco tour of 49 Miles, <laughs> please explain that a little bit, and then let's talk about your play. Sure. Uh, the 49-mile scenic drive around San Francisco, up and down the hills and around the 7 by 7 area of San Francisco, um, if you see those blue signs with the seagull on them, yes. at 49 around the city, that's that's what it is. It goes through some really weird places. Um, I mean, weird in a good way, but also places you wouldn't expect. And it's kind of like you go down Howard, like near the defenestration building, you okay. know, the, the building where all the, the yes. furniture is being yes. chucked out the windows. It's like that's on the drive. <laughs> it's like, OK, I get that. Right. But then it kind of goes down in some really sketchy, seedy areas, which is great because uh, basically, what I wanted to do was uh, either through interviews, which I did a lot of, or just being around some of these areas, uh, take the 49-mile scenic drive and put it on stage. So I worked with a group called Crowded Fire, and we uh, we did a bunch of workshops and interviewed a bunch of people and said, you know, what's your experience of the 49-mile scenic drive? Uh, and the people that were living and working here in the city um, had never really been on it. Right. I mean, they've been on it, but they didn't realize they didn't actually take a you know right. an eight-hour tour. I've never actually done the tour either. Have you, Dan? I live here. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Bet you've never been on a cable car, car either, right? It's I one was of those very things. drunk. It was St. Patrick's Day. And he hopes there are no pictures. 
I'll bet there are. I bet there are too. Search the interweb thing. <laughs> so long story short, we uh, we did 49 miles, and I, I did – there weren't just 49 characters. They, they ended up being like 70, 80 something. Oh, my. They were all intercut. There were a lot of uh, duets, a lot of, uh, of trios, uh, voices in each of these places. And it was all strung to, loosely strung together with the idea that um, – there was a, a guy who walked around and he, w- he would tape record conversations. Now, th- since then, that there have been movies that, you know. Sure. Uh, and this wasn't derivative. It was just, it was a, it was a narrative um, device to say, okay, well, here's someone's story you can track through. And the idea was that this guy made tapes of all these different people. And then he actually, <laughs> I started to give away the ending. He gets hit by a bus. Um, and then they find these tapes and the idea literal was confluence of events. <laughs> yeah. So I, the idea was that this this group of seven actors who were the seven people sort of gathered around him as he was lying, you know, dying on, on, the, on the sidewalk there. They then turn into all these different voices and all these different characters. And the idea is that maybe a theater company got a hold of these tapes and decided to act them out. Okay. So it was working on a, or, or not working on multiple levels. But of course. we had lots of uh, fun with different. Not stereotypes, because I think what we try to do is explode the stereotypes and really play with the the characters that are found in San Francisco. I mean, that phrase, only in San Francisco, yes. exists for a reason. And it was one of those really exciting times. Uh, this is right around, this is right before 2001, actually. Okay. Um, and a lot of the, the monologues or a lot of the, the miles had something to do with uh, a big bang. Literally the, the beginning of, of time and space as we know it in this universe, which interested me uh, at the time. I know it was really pretentious, but I, I was no. kind of playing with that. But also, you know, the, the, the bang of getting hit by a bus exactly. or the, the big one, the earthquake, you know, living here in San Francisco, uh, that's always a possibility. And so there, it was interesting. I didn't consciously set out to talk about a, a big destructive disruptive event and yet there was this thread that went through the whole piece and then I kind of tied it to the fact that this John Doe character uh, the tape man gets killed um, but all these other characters sort of echoed different aspects of that and it was fun it was because it was right during the whole dot-com bubble sure, bursting okay. and there was a lot of there were a lot of other things saying you know it's great now but you know shit can happen yeah. and you know you should be prepared for that and so many people were just really living in in this this la la land this this world of denial and just like so everything's gonna you're be dry great. cleaning out via the internet yeah it, it was it was <laughs> the best of times the worst of times yeah, it was, it was insane and then right at the end of our rehearsal process 9-11 happened yeah and uh i just remember the first time we all gathered as, as a cast to uh to read some of the, the, the stuff, it took on a, a totally other resonance um, that previously we'd been talking about, you know, uh, an earthquake or some destructive thing. Suddenly it was very real, it was very visceral, and it was almost like, are we trivializing something that just happened? And I didn't want to incorporate it. I wanted to live in the sense of, of innocence prior to an event, because that was really what it was about. Thinking something's going to happen and maybe it hasn't happened yet but we sort of lost our innocence in that rehearsal process and it was it was odd we we opened up and what we found was people 
flocked to the theater. You know, we opened in October and people were ready to come back and not just come back and, and, and you know, commiserate and, and, and meet his community, but share in something. And it was beyond that ritual aspect of it. It was something about just meeting with other people who, who really perhaps believe totally differently than you do. And okay. there are a lot of different perspectives, okay. both religious and non, in, in the play. Just like the diversity of the city, it's amazing. Um, we had a wonderfully diverse cast. So a lot of the opinions expressed weren't my own, but they were based on people I knew or people I talked to, and they were really diametrically opposed. It's fabulous. And there was something wonderful about hearing those voices intercut and hearing them in the context of, you know, what had been a safe place through through like this other this other veil of what had just happened in 9-11. Whole new filter. And suddenly it came alive and it was, it, you know, A, it was too long and it was me being perhaps <laughs> precious with a lot of text. And it was, you know, if, if I were to do it again, it, it would certainly be shorter. <laughs> but, um, you know, I didn't see it, but I heard very good things about it. Thank you. It, uh, Chad Jones certainly liked it. And the quote I have from him from when he then worked at the Oakland Trib was it uh, you bring a refreshing lack of cynicism and a keen eye for paradox and sentiment without sappiness? Oh, it was very That's sweet a of remarkable him. review. Um, yeah, uh, it was interesting. We we didn't get a lot of uh, theater audiences from from reviews. Uh, we got a lot of non-theater people, and That's it kind of built during the run, which was cool. And we, we had people coming back and seeing it two, three times. Partly because there was so much going on, <laughs> it was kind of like listening to to both the right and left channel of you know speakers, and there's something different happening in each one, and people are going, "What? What? What, what did they say?" But people were really reacting to to some of the the miles, like through the through the AIDS memorial and oh. other other you know things that one where is it was online. People can actually read that. Yeah, I yeah. Was quite impressed with it, and I recommend that you do read it. This has been part one of the Cassandra's Call production.